Great show today. Uh, really good show. We talk about all the important issues, including that whole thing, apparently, that happened uh, in the Supreme Court on abortion. Stu and I would both like to know, I mean, this is really putting women out to, you know, to travel to another state. I mean, you might have to take a 45-minute airplane ride to kill your child. We're just wondering, how many abortions does the average person get? I mean, because, I mean, being put out once... You know, maybe not that big of a problem. Anyway, we'll get into that and so much more, including our special guest, Jack Carr, who war games uh, Russia, America, and the Ukraine, all on today's podcast. If you're one of the millions of Americans who suffer every day from pain, listen up. There is hope, and it comes in the form of Relief Factor. Every day I see testimonials of people who tried Relief Factor for their pain, got their life back. I just read a testimonial of a woman who has MS and nothing worked for her. She said, within 10 days, I started to see a difference. She said, by the time I ordered my second bag, my pain level was down to a three, which she said was great for her. This is a miracle for a lot of people. And it was for me, I tried everything. If you want a drug-free and natural way to get your life back, try Relief Factor. Just order the three-week quick start. 70% of the people who try it for three weeks go on to order more because it works for them. Uh, Are you in that 70%? Can you get your life back? ReliefFactor.com. ReliefFactor.com. You're listening to... The best of the Glenn Beck program. Oh, my goodness. Could we just play a couple of holy cow? Here's CNN on the slippery slope. And I cannot believe that I'm sitting here, Jim, in the year of 2022, a right that I was born into a society that had, that my mother had, that my grandmother had, that my great grandmothers in her lifetime had, that with the stroke of a pen, someone can simply say a fundamental right that is within a zone of privacy that the court has said should be hands off for the government. Can you stop for just a a second? Two, I am sitting here. I can't believe I'm sitting here in 1865, Mm -hmm. you know, and a right that I had to own property. In fact, my my grandfather had my great grandfather had. I mean, we've owned these slaves Mm -hmm. for generations. They've been part of our family's wealth let's put it that way and it's one thing in the 1860s 1870s imagine in 1915 right it's been you know i i mean gosh that's 50 years after i don't know maybe that's uh if it was wrong well then you would overturn it if Hmm. it's not then you don't 50 years after Hmm. that's kind of the way this works you know i can't believe that i live in a country where where we've had separate you know, movie theaters and drinking fountains. We've had them say, you know, my grandfather, my great grandfather. And now we're just going to change that. Mm. I, I, I can't believe that right to separate, but equal 
is going away. And I remember all of these uh, people on the left back in the 70s saying, you know, this law had been this way all this time. States could manage their own uh, access to abortion for the entire country's history until 1973. And all of a sudden now we're going to change it. That's crazy. That's crazy. This is such a dumb argument. Okay, so she goes on to say, what's next? Can be taken away. There are a lot of things now on the chopping block. Mm -hmm. And Steve, Mm -hmm. you spoke about an earthquake. Well, a familiar phrase is a slippery slope in the Uh Supreme Court. That Mm -hmm. which you do in one area could extend to others. Well, fundamental rights include interstate travel, include the idea Interstate travel. Yeah, anytime, at any moment. At any moment. I was thinking Mm -hmm. just the other day, I don't know if we're going to be able to go from Texas to Oklahoma. Can we do that? Will they just put barriers up on all of the interstates and you know look interstate travel has been a really divisive 50 50 political issue forever oh, forever you know people like the republicans don't want right. you to cross lines of right. states i mean a small Democrats number do. of people are going to say no interstate travel and that's i mean i'm telling you that and the the divorce that has been wanted by clarence thomas to get out of his marriage with his white wife mm. that he's going to overturn. He just doesn't want to tell Ginny. He doesn't. <sighs> he doesn't. You know, he's been looking to well, split. She's white. You know yeah. what? White people. Oh, that's the way bad. white people, white people will do are you. bad. I don't know yeah, if you know this. I know. And so obviously that's the way he's going to get, try to get out of it. He doesn't yeah. want to, he doesn't want to tell her he doesn't want to be married anymore. He's going to rule the Supreme court to make it illegal. Yeah. So now, <laughs> so now, the slippery slope, it's coming. And, you know, this was from a boob on, on CNN. Mm. This one is the boob in the White House. Listen to Joe Biden. Radical decisions. If this decision holds, it's really quite a radical decision. Um, I think and it, I again, would, <laughs> the underlying premise, and again, I've not had a chance to thoroughly go into the report, the, the decision. So definitely comment so on it anyway. Yeah. basically says... All Basically. the decisions related to your private life, no. who you marry, no, whether that's or not, not what it you says. decide to conceive a child or not, whether or not you conceive a child. Stop. Mm-hmm. Stop. I can't yeah. take it. Well, a lot of people are against birth. Right. The pe- those people that were overturning the abortion rights do not want children to be born. Right. Or and something. How many times have you walked into a church where they're like, you come to us if you're thinking about having a child. We'll tell you whether you can have a child or not. It's just like those religious people every sunday every, every sunday every that's sunday. how the message starts exactly i don't know right. about you i mean I, look at my church they spend about half the service telling us we have to get a, a, a hall pass from them to, to have, have children, children. Yeah, that's the it way it works at church all the time now um he said here he he, he didn't read um the um uh, the decision which probably he should have before he um before he talked about it you think? because in it it says this only applies to this particular thing roe versus wade it only applies to this so the slippery slope idea whoops that's uh that's out there um by the way i love this idea that just Five people are going to make the decision for the rest of us. Five people are going to make the decision for the rest of us. You know, if those five people are following the Constitution, which is, have you ever played Monopoly? And somebody's like, no, the person who goes second 
when they go around each time, they get $700 when they pass go. And you're like, no, that's not what the rules say. (laughs) Rules, those are outdated. Those were made in 1900. That's what they say. What? Don't listen to the manufacturer of Monopoly. What do they know? They couldn't have foreseen our game. Okay? (laughs) As long as we're all playing by the same rules, when those five people or nine people, when they speak, we may not like it, but that is law. Now, they can make bad laws. I mean, not actually, sorry. They should not make any Any laws. laws. They can say this one's constitutional or this one is not. And then they can change that if it's based on bad law. But you have to have the argument. And if you didn't read the first draft, which I don't even know if it's going to become law. If that first draft stands, it all logically is put out and it is also they use the words of liberal icons who have said this law doesn't work because of this this and this you have to do it the right way okay that that's all this law is and by the way i can't believe majority hang on just a second what this law did in the first place 30 states said no abortion. Now, other states were moving towards liberalizing their laws on abortion. But what did they do? These nine people decided they're going to take away all of the discussion. They're going to force people to do what they say has to be done. Okay? Because why? Because why? Because they're all talking about the majority. No, see, this is a representative republic. We hire people. This is the way it should work. We hire people with our votes to go and represent us. In a world where this works, they actually listen to the people and they enact the things that the people want. That's Congress. Then... The Senate is supposed to pay attention to their states, which they don't anymore because um, progressives destroyed it. But they're supposed to say, no, wait a minute. Hang on. That might be good for New York, but that's not good for Texas. Or that may be great in Texas, but that's not right for California. That is supposed to be a speed bump. Then the president is, has the ability to veto something. Not because it's popular or unpopular. He has a right to veto things according to our Monopoly rule book. He can veto if he finds it unconstitutional. If he says, this is unconstitutional. No, I'm not signing this. Then what happens? It goes to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court is made entirely for one reason. What is that reason? Why do we have a Supreme Court? It's not to make laws. In fact, its number one job, its main purpose is to make sure that any laws that are enacted by the majority 
do not inflict damage on the minority. So what their job is, see, the Bill of Rights is not majority rules. That's what the Supreme Court is supposed to do. Their main job is make sure that the Bill of Rights is not violated. And they have failed us many times, i.e. slavery. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, they, they talk about this with speech all the time, where, like, the most unpopular, uh, most important speech to protect is the unpopular speech. No one's going to stop you from saying something that 80% of people agree with. It's the thing that 1% of people agree Correct. with. And it's the same thing with the court as its basic function. It's easy to get things through when 60 and 70 and 80 percent of people agree with it. It's that thing that is still constitutional, is still a right protected by uh, by our founding documents and our country. That's the thing that they need to stand up for. You look at this First Amendment. Why does the First Amendment exist? Because people are going to say things that other people don't like. And it is only through opposition and debate that we can actually come to any consensus the press they knew the press would take on the government it should take on the government and ask questions the powerful don't want to answer that's why it's protected your right to petition and assemble with people to question the powerful are you noticing things the the right for religion because the state in other countries said this is the official religion and so that had all the power and it put all other religions out so the first amendment what is that about that is making sure that the minority or the smaller power is on equal footing and the government and the majority power cannot take these people out the Second Amendment got news for you. It's not for hunting. Otherwise, maybe there would have been croquet. You know, we have the right to a croquet set. It's not about hunting. It's not about sports. It's about the minority being able to have enough power to be able to keep in check the powerful. If they are violating rights and violating the Declaration of Independence its proposal of what we are and the rules and laws in our little constitution monopoly game. It's so you, the little guy, has the power over the king. Same thing with all of it. It is for minority protection. That's what makes us different. That's why you don't want a democracy. Because a democracy will fall into the hands of a bunch of right-wing extremists, left-wing extremists. And once they have power, they can do things like uh, set up a board for speech to be able to say which speech is acceptable, which questions are acceptable, who's acceptable, what behavior is acceptable. What the Supreme Court did yesterday was very clear. It did not ban abortion. It didn't. What it did was return the power to the people. These five people. What did this say? That these five people, these nine people, this is what it said. These these people, us should not be making the decision 
on something so personal that is not in the Constitution. That is up to the people themselves to decide. It was empowering for the average person. It's amazing how dumb Americans have become because of our teachers unions and because of our media and quite honestly, because of our political parties. America, you're an idiot. Now, do you want to stop being an idiot? Then maybe you should educate yourself before you go on as president of the United States and say, I didn't read it. So uh, maybe gay people can't get married anymore. Oh, what a moron. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Um, Chelsea Manning, uh, isn't Chelsea Manning, if I, if I have it right, Chelsea is, I can't remember his name before he claimed he was a woman, um, but Peyton, Peyton, no, not Peyton Manning. (laughs) (laughs) I know enough to know that's not right. You almost got it. Darn it. (laughs) What was his name? Uh, Uh, anyway, I can't remember. uh, Chelsea, uh, he's now chiming in because he claims to be a woman. Bradley Manning. Bradley Manning. Yeah. That name would, that one seems like fake to me. That one seems like, no, that's not his name. Oh, no, but sorry. Anyway. Eli. It was Eli. Anyway. Uh, Archie? Chel- <laughs> Archie. Chelsea Manning uh, is now speaking out about abortion and the potential of the Supreme Court uh, ruling. And um, he tweets yesterday, for those of you who are just catching up, If you're able to afford it and it's safe for you to do so, you should consider arming yourselves, then finding others to train with in teams. Learn how to to defend your community. We may need these skills in the very near future. Huh. Now, I don't know why this person that cannot have a baby They cannot carry a child because she's a he. It's a dude, dude. So I don't know what right this white male has to chime in on abortion rights. But I really want to focus on is is this allowed on Twitter to be able to say, hey, get ready for a civil war and arm yourselves and start training? Uh, And then the replies are, is the implication here that overturning Roe versus Wade would incur civil war? If so, does someone have a broad brush stroke sense of how that chain of event might might unfold? Um, Yeah, somebody does. Roe goes, then the power of the 14th Amendment goes. The 14th goes, so do several other human rights. Civil unrest follows. Wow. Uh, Okay. I mean, I've been to the secret meetings of all the white people. We get together 730s Tuesdays on Denny's at Denny's. And um, I've been to those meetings. I have not heard the 14th Amendment abolishment plan spoken out loud. Yeah, they're not going to say that out loud. Not going to say it out loud. They're going to order a grand slam. 
Yeah. And then they're going to. And when they that. when they say Grand Slam, they mean 14th, 14th Amendment. Mm-hmm. It's code. It's a dog whistle. All right. It's a dog whistle. Um, then uh, Carrie Lee uh, writes in, I used to be opposed to the idea of owning firearms with no small part of being how much I felt I would be at risk of self-harm from the depression I had before transitioning. Wow, that is that's really sad. But now it doesn't seem like an extreme message, which is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Think it. Think it. I think it probably is. Now the left is online on Twitter talking about arming themselves for a civil war. Interesting, because it's happening on Twitter before Elon Musk has said, hey, you should arm yourself and we should have a race riot. So apparently the algorithm is okay with violence on Twitter. Hmm. Yet the media cannot handle Elon Musk buying Twitter at all. Elon Musk, I guess he, you know, he misses the old South Africa in the 80s. He wants yeah. he wants that back. Reminds me of old Bond movies where, you know, Dr. Evil and guys like that or Goldfinger were, were going to take over the media. Uh, I, I just, it, my tummy meter says there's something just my not great about meter. this. If you get invited to something where there are no rules, where there is total freedom uh, for, for everybody, do you actually want to go to that party? Can you stop? Or- um, yeah, I, I go to those parties all the time. Almost every party I go to does not send me a list of rules. You really? Know? Yeah. I go to parties <laughs> and they're like, well, I mean, there is one rule. My wife gives it to me. Don't make anybody cry or want to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you never live up. To and that I rule. never live up to that. I break that every time. But do you want to go to a party without rules? Yeah. Most people do. Most people do. Because we have common ethics. Now, do I want to go to a party with anarchists? Well, um, depends on who the anarchist is. You know, um, Penn Jillette says he's an anarchist. Michael Malice is an anarchist. I don't mind going to a they both party. be pretty fun at parties. They'd be I'd fun imagine. at parties, yeah. and I wouldn't feel in danger at all. So, so this, of course, Mr. Potato Head. I'm sorry. Ms. Uh, generic potato head mm-hmm. is uh, is is making uh, once again just a stupid analogy. How dumb are their viewers? How dumb are the voters of the left? Because do they? I mean, they actually have to believe this stuff, right? And I, I don't even think you're making a judgment there. You're making a judgment based on the way they talk to their voters. They oh, yeah. must know they're idiots. I, I, I'm not. I don't even have to look at the voters and say, "Okay, they must be idiots." No, what the way the left media speaks to their own voters shows you they must know they're idiots. You know, I, I can't tell you how many interviews I did with people in the media. Um, you know, that never got printed, and they would ask, "Why? Why the success? Why? How did this happen?" And I'm like, well, I've been doing it for 30 years. Nobody, 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 nobody in the media noticed because I wasn't doing it in New York. Uh, there's, there's number one. Two, I don't treat my audience like they're imbeciles. When I first got into television, they all said, "You can't. No, that's too complex. You can't do that. People won't pay attention." Really? Because I think they will. I think they will. I think people are starving for the truth. And starving for somebody to tell them what it really means. Somebody to explain big principles. Nobody wants to walk around like a dummy all the time. 
And what is this society doing? First, they treated you like an imbecile. Now they're insisting on you being an imbecile. You, you're not being taught math. If you're in school, you're not being taught math. You're not being taught history. You're not being taught how to think. You're not being taught how to question. You're not being taught any of that stuff. You are being taught to be somebody who marches in the streets. For what? For anything your leader tells you to do. Don't think it through. Because if you think it through, you might disagree with it. And if you disagree with it, you're out. This is, this is everything the left does, they accuse the right of doing. Listen to this. Some of the most high-profile liberal figures have joined together to encourage advertisers to boycott Twitter if Elon Musk brings his promised policy of unfettered free speech. Okay, this in America. 26 NGOs and advocacy groups have signed the letter expressing concern about the world's richest man's plan. No, you know that they don't ever really make a big deal out of Bezos and how much he controls ah, Bill Gates. Ah. Well, this crazy idea, Clinton, that a rich person could buy something that influences our politics. What could possibly? There's no precedent. Of a rich person owning a media company. Now, by the way, I got that information from Bloomberg, so I know <laughs> it's got to be true. This is insanity. Musk himself responded to the letter asking who funds this uh, this group. The answer being assortment of dark money groups like George Soros's Open Society Foundation. NGOs founded by former Clinton and Obama administration staffers, wealthy white Democratic donors and their family foundations. So his takeover of Twitter is going to toxify our information. And it's a direct threat to public safety, especially among those already most vulnerable and marginalized. Who's the most vulnerable? Who is the most vulnerable? The most vulnerable are the people who can't read, who have a limited education, who have been sucked in onto the teat of the government, who has gone through government-funded schools and listened to the lies that are being taught by the teachers' unions. They're the people that are, are out of sight, out of mind, that just watch whatever drivel spills out of TikTok and they're the ones that Kamala Harris can step in front of and say, big country, bad, little country, good, or anything else that the potato on CNN or anybody says. Those are the most vulnerable. Those who have an education, even and more importantly, if it's an education they earned, they actually did it themselves. They did it because they were curious, not because they wanted a piece of paper. Those are not the most vulnerable. Your ad dollars can either fund Musk's vanity project or hold him to account. We call on you to demand Musk uphold these basic standards of community trust and safety and pull your advertising spending from Twitter if they are not. Okay, so who is this? Well, the usual suspects. Uh, policy spokesman for Hillary Clinton's campaign, nephew of David Axelrod, former senior advisor of Barack Obama, 
media matters. We know who they are. Uh, David Brock and and George Soros and Hillary Clinton's money. Um, Ultraviolet. Who are these people? Um, well, they founded the group on the principle that with a combination of organizing technology, creative campaigning and people power, we can win. Oh, wow. They're backed by several unions, among them the American Federation of Labor, Congress of Industrial Organizations, AFL-CIO, and the American Federation of Teachers. Isn't that weird? Uh, By the way, um, the other group, Media Matters, yeah, yeah. Did you know that they were uh, taking donations from the National Education Association, America's largest union, representing teachers? Seems like the teachers unions, man, they are all over this. And then other backers like Chicago based billionaires, uh, members of one of America's richest family who made their money through the Hyatt uh, hotel chain. Um, Nicholas Pritzker, he's 76 years old. He started the Libra Foundation. Uh, That's an organization that supports frontline organizations building a world where communities of color thrive. This is fantastic. Um, you've got foreign entities that are involved in funding these organizations. That's who do uh, who's doing it. By the way, that isn't just for Twitter. That email has gone out saying you've got to boycott. This is ESG. You watch Twitter. You have to understand if you advertise for Twitter, that there's some reputational risk to your company. But you choose whatever. That letter has also gone out about abortion. You've got to stand for abortion and your company has to publicly back it. Otherwise, there's some reputational risk. America, you going to be held hostage. You're going to do it. Are you going to keep paying them? The mob is at your door and they're offering you protection. You know, you just have to pay this little fee. How odd is it for you? Huh? Get off of Twitter. Stop advertising. You know, I'm just asking you. You know, you're either with us or you're against us. And, you know, maybe bad things happen to businesses that don't play the game. You know what I'm saying? You know, there's a reputational risk. Your building might burn down in the middle of the night. Just play along. Nobody gets hurt. Go ahead. That is who you're dealing with, America. What's your choice? Freedom or in bed with the mob? You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. All right, Jack Carr is with us. Hello, Jack. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me on, sir. I sincerely appreciate it. <laughs> oh, you bet. You bet. I can't wait. Uh, how excited are you for uh, uh, Terminalist to come out with uh, Pratt? Well, I'm fired up. It's, uh, you know, you never know when you go into these things, there's a lot of trust involved because they yeah. can really take your material and do anything they want with it, which is why they usually like to get rid of the author right uh-huh. away. So you're not yelling, you ruined my vision. Yeah. Uh, but they had me involved from the, from the get go and Amazon was so supportive. And, uh, I think we managed to get all of that, uh, what people you know talk about being woke, uh, all of that out of there. So oh I think gosh. it's going to be very refreshing for people that are between New York and Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, it's 
gonna, it, I think we crushed it. And uh, Chris certainly did playing Navy SEAL sniper James Reese. Antoine Fuqua is the director. I mean, everybody came together, and it is dark. It is gritty. It is violent. It is authentic. And uh, I think we knocked it out of the park. <laughs> what an endorsement. It's dark. It's gritty. It's violent. You're going to love it. Uh, all right. So, Jack, I wanted to have you on because I something feels wrong with this Russia-Ukraine situation. Uh, and it could it, it seems like everybody is prepared. If I were a fiction writer, uh, mm-hmm. I would be looking at all of these things that are happening and I would say, yeah, it's just I'm doing a little foreshadowing. They're starting to build up for war. They're letting people know I'm letting the reader know. It just seems like we're going places that uh, I, I don't think would be a good place to go. As a fiction writer and somebody who lives in this world, and I, I love talking to fiction writers, especially about uh, geopolitical things, because you can't write things that don't make sense because nobody would believe it. <laughs> so you have to be based in reality. As a fiction writer, where do you think we're going? <laughs> well, if I'd, uh, if I'd written what is actually happening in the world today, whether it's Russia, Ukraine, it's uh, a withdrawal from Afghanistan, whether it's uh, our own country right here, if I'd written these things 10 years ago, it wouldn't be a political thriller. It would go in the dystopian thriller category, perhaps yeah. even the science fiction type yeah. of category. I don't think people would. 10 years ago, I, I think if you would have written what's happening today 10 years ago, it, you would have been laughed at. I mean, people, nobody would buy the book, and uh, I think people would go, that's ridiculous. It would never happen. Exactly. This could never happen in this country. This is too, uh, too, too unrealistic. That's what the reviews on Amazon would say. Um, but, uh, but these things are happening. Uh, and in fact, when we look just at Ukraine and Russia, um, it didn't take, you didn't have to be a genius. You didn't have to be a geopolitical strategist to look at it, apply some common sense to, to NATO, Ukraine, and Russia, and predict what was going to happen. In fact, my second book, True Believer, I have a black flag type, uh, false flag type of an operation uh, to get Russia to invade Ukraine. Ukraine as part of the storyline. And wow. I just studied the situation and needed to figure out how to make that happen. And lo and behold, that has now happened. But in the research that I did, that really was, uh, you could see that coming because of the decline of the ethnic Russian population since the end of the Cold War. Right. And really, they could only field an army up to about 2022. And then they were going to either have, they were going to have to invade Ukraine because that has the largest population of ethnic Russians outside of Russia. Um, so for our senior level leaders not to come to that same conclusion after looking at it with a little bit of common sense uh, is, is shock. It shouldn't be shocking, but it is because so, we rely so. on those leaders to make those good strategic decisions. And they have proven time and time again that they're incapable of doing so. So wait a minute. So y- y- you say that th- the reason why they're having a hard time is they, they don't they, they can't get more troops. And you're saying that that's one of the reasons why you think they invaded Ukraine so they could have ethnic Russians to fight? That's right. So it's uh, just looking at those at those numbers. And that's you really have about two generations of ethnic Russians being a, uh, a population that can sustain a military. Uh, and uh, but it, in much, much smaller numbers 
past 2022. So in uh, 2014, Peter Zeehan wrote a book called The Accidental Superpower, which looks at geography, looks at demographics in uh, in world history when it comes to uh, to nation states and world powers. And uh, that's the conclusion that he came to in that book, which is one of the things that I used in that second novel. Um, but there, there, of course, are supporting factors, but that's a big one. And that also ties into to the nuclear question, because if you have someone uh, who believes that their population, their country is not going to be around in two generations and they can't even field an army past right about now, uh, well, it makes using maybe a tactical nuclear weapon uh, at least threatening to do so, but maybe even using it a little more likely because they're uh, an animal in a corner and it's fight or flight and it's survival. It's not, they don't look at it as an option as, uh, hey, if we do do this, we don't do this. Well, hey, if we don't do this, we're dead anyway. So we have to look, we put ourselves in the enemy's shoes and uh, to anticipate what they're going to do. We we continually do not do that in this country for whatever reason. I got to tell you that some of the best commentary I've heard on on what's happening in Ukraine already, and we've just been talking in just a couple of minutes. I didn't hear, I haven't heard any of that. I've heard about the, the lack of military, um, but I I had no idea that we knew this from the get-go. So when you have this situation and you have Putin, I'm sure you've done enough research just for your own novels on uh, Putin and how things work over there. Uh, a couple of questions. First, they think he's sick, um, may have cancer. They're saying that maybe he's going under the knife um, and will be you know, under, and they don't know how long he will be incapacitated if i'm putin i'm wondering if i'm going to be safe when they put me out or if they might accidentally turn that knob up a little bit oh yes and this was something during the cold war that uh that was uh, at the forefront of senior level russian officials minds when they had to go under the knife when they had to be put put under and they had security in those rooms uh not just because of an assassination or something along those lines by a doctor that might be on the cia payroll or just a uh, arrival in the political or, or military space, but because coming out of that, uh, that anesthesia, so when they're coming out of that, there's a certain time period where you're not really very lucid. Uh, and for those who have been under the knife know what that, that feels like. Uh, and you're coming out of that and, well, maybe a doctor on the CIA payroll can ask you a few questions at that point in time and filter that back to the CIA. So that was something during the Cold War that, uh, <laughs> that was at the forefront when any of those guys would have to go under the knife for a, a medical procedure. So I am sure that Putin is thinking about that. And, of course, he knows his history much better than we do, uh, history of coups in, uh, in Russia. It's not, uh, it, 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 it's not infrequent when we look at world history. So uh, I'm sure that, uh, that he's thinking about that and uh, surrounding himself with uh, people he thinks are uh, trustworthy to ensure that either he's not killed during that time frame or is not uh, asked questions during that time frame about his strategy vis-a-vis Ukraine or the rest of the world or uh, uh, his intent to use or not use nuclear weapons. Do you have any idea who would replace him, let's say he dies on the table? Do you have any idea? How I do not. Works? There's uh, there's always a uh, a military leader waiting in the wings. It seems yeah. when we look at uh, and uh, but who that is, I am I am not sure. Uh, and you know, in these situations, uh, or just when you're looking at authoritarian dictatorships or um, or, or countries like that, the senior level leaders oftentimes are not getting the best information because it is uh, not healthy to be, bring that bad news to uh, mm. to a dictator because oftentimes it's off with your head or off 
to the gulag. So it's uh, it's a strange position to be in. Obviously, we saw that with the uh, our war in Iraq, um, uh, where Saddam thought he actually did have a capability that he he did not, uh, and Putin is probably in that same position. Do you what do you make of the the story? It came out I think yesterday. Pictures of what they call the flying Kremlin. It is a plane that they haven't seen it in the air, uh, I think, since 2010 or 2011. And um, it's been flying around Russia. Uh, and it is the the nuclear plane. If something needs to go on, you know, we have Air Force One that everything can be run from that plane in case of a nuclear war. Do you think that's just uh, it, telling that? Th- go ahead. Oh yeah, that's, that seems interesting. I didn't see that story, but uh, you know, oftentimes uh, these things are done to just send send a message, uh, right. and they might just to say, "Hey, we have this capability," um, and to get us to take or not take a certain a certain action. Um, so, for Putin to say he's moving nuclear weapons into a certain position, well, they're probably already there. Uh, or if this plane is flying around, um, if the, the Russian military. Uh, if, if the, their capabilities are what we've seen in Ukraine thus far, then we, we overestimated, as did a lot of those senior level generals, uh, probably because they didn't want to get their heads lopped off by saying they weren't as capable as, uh, as they had been uh, projecting or advertising. But flying a plane like that probably is the same uh, is the same thing as saying, hey, we're moving nuclear weapons into a certain position just in case we need to use them right. so that uh, it sends a message to the West to uh, discontinue support of Ukraine or get us to take a certain action so how how serious do you think this nuke thing is I, i'm you know I, we've all grown up uh in you know without this fear of nukes i grew up in the time i you might have too where mm-hmm. you know we we feared what russia might do and then it went away and now i are, are we really that close to some sort of a nuclear explosion on on earth I mean, the first question is, and I did grow up during that time as well, uh, and we thought with the end of the Cold War that, hey, uh, our main threat now is the, the proliferation of some of these weapons going to uh, uh, rogue nation states or super empowered individuals or terrorist organizations or, or that sort of a thing. But now we're back with a uh, state on state, nation on nation. Um, Do you think it's serious? Where, well, first, the question would have to be, hey, do they have the capability? And that, the answer yes. to that question is yes. They have about 6,000, uh, both tactical and strategic uh, nuclear weapons. Strategic meaning they're gigantic and fly <laughs> towards us. Uh, tactical meaning you use them on, on the battlefield, a lot smaller, but still huge uh, when compared to something like uh, Hiroshima or Nagasaki, something, something like that. Mm. Um, but we have, when you, we have a lot less, but you know, with nuclear weapons, it doesn't really matter how, you know, a, a thousand here, a thousand there. But uh, when we add all of NATO's nuclear weapons and Russia's, it's about the same, uh, give or take. It's uh, just shy of 6,000 when we add all of NATO nuclear weapons uh, to Russia's. Um, but in this case, it's interesting in that if they did do something like that, uh, we have this China, we have that, that, that side. So it would make it a lot harder for China to support Russia if Russia uses even a tactical nuclear weapon on the battlefield. So that's an interesting um, uh, kind of connection here because China is right now Russia's greatest ally uh, militarily, trade-wise, um, and they have a, they have, there's a lot of incentives for them to, to stay connected, and using a nuclear weapon would make that a lot more difficult. So I, I, I just want to war game one more thing with you, and that is uh, China. You know, it's just reading something. I can't remember where I read it this morning. Um, but uh, some analysis that 
the, the American dollar is going to lose its reserve uh, currency status, you know, in the in the coming days, months, years, whenever. And China is making a move to you know, basically have a, a, a multi or bipolar um, uh, powered world. Uh, if we Japan looks like it's falling apart economically, we're not doing so great. Europe's not doing so great. There's a war going on. If this thing spirals out of control, what's to stop China from taking Taiwan and then just gobbling the world? Right. So they are obviously looking very closely at what was going to happen with Ukraine and Russia. Um, that that didn't happen as fast as uh, most of our strategic level thinkers, leaders, talking heads uh, anticipated, uh, which was about three, four days. Uh, Russia is going to roll through Ukraine. And a lot of that is due to, to Zelensky. And I still am curious as to why Russia did not decapitate that government ahead of time, um, take out the leader first. And I think it's because they uh they thought, oh, this is just an actor, um, mm-hmm. kind of like uh, Ronald Reagan before he, as he first started into into politics, um, and they they just they discounted how he could galvanize both his country and the world uh, against Russia. So I think that was a strategic level mistake, and they should have anticipated that one. And even and we thought the same thing. We offered him uh, refuge. We said, we'll, we'll take you out of the country. And we the way that was asked and the way that was talked about was so casual, it seemed as though we just thought, oh, for sure, the leader of the country is going to pick up and go. Um, and uh, Russia probably thought the same thing. Uh, but that did not happen. And now we have the situation that we have now, essentially a a war of attrition, um, and we'll see how that uh, we'll see how that 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 ends up. But China and currency that is that is a, a major play here and a major component of this that no one is talking about. So I'm glad you are. Mm. And China can look at things. Obviously, they can look. They look in decades. They look in centuries. Yeah. Uh, we look at things in four year election cycles, maybe eight years for the real deep thinkers <laughs> among us. But China can take a breath. Um, and they can see what happened in Ukraine. They can take a breath on Taiwan and they can uh, they can look at this long term. Uh, and that is the advantage that they have over us. So they have their problems, too. They have population problems, the, the one child mm-hmm. policy and all that coming to fruition. There's lo- there are lockdowns, their mandates. Uh, they have a lot of issues to deal with as well internally. Um, but. They can deal with those issues and take a breath on the strategic front because we're yeah. doing a pretty good job of destroying ourselves from the inside I'm right now. Kidding. So a little strategic patience on their part uh, really plays into their hand. Talking to Jack Carr, the author of uh, In the Blood and uh, The Terminal List, which is coming out on uh, Netflix soon. Uh, I own the uh, Paramount Studios here in uh, in Dallas. It was an old movie lot back in the 80s. And I have some of I have an old uh, ship uh, that was used in a miniseries back in the 80s. um, And it was Winds of War. You're really. Yeah. You're really now in the the best time to be a writer, because now these movies can be made in episodes and they don't bastardize the book usually. Wow, that's amazing that you that uh, you have that. And I've been there to, on Chad Prather's show, so I've been into the, I've been in the back rooms there. Oh my gosh, the things that you have, and oh. uh, it, it was amazing. Let uh, me know next time you're incredible. here. I'll I'll take you on a oh, tour and you. show you some of the cool stuff we have. Oh. Um, thank you. You have a lot of amazing things there. And yeah. Winds of War. Well, that's an incredible book. And yeah. More people read that and War and Remembrance, and that was their gateway into nonfiction. Yeah. Studying history to hopefully apply those lessons going forward in wisdom. Yeah. We'd all be in a better place. 
Jack Carr, um, In the Blood, is out right now and coming soon, the terminal list to Netflix. Please, Jack, let me know next time you're in town. I'd, I'd love to take you on a quick tour. God bless you. Na, 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 na.